Welcome back, Rugby Pick'em fans. We have an interesting, different interview for you today. Lenny Martling rolled into town, father of our dear producer, Devin Martling. And uh, we talked about his 20-year career in rugby um, from being at the Kent State shootings back in 1970 to playing with the Barbos for many years and eventually starting a career and a family. It was a packed interview, a lot of characters in the room, but it's a good listen. Enjoy. Cooks a jambalaya, you eat the jambalaya. Do not lick a gift horse in hands. All right, folks, uh, we are here for a rugby pick'em bio uh, with none other than our own producer's kin, Lenny Martling. Um, he's here to tell us a bit about coming into rugby. Yeah, the producer term gets thrown around, but. Uh, we will release Devin's bio one day. Uh, we're sitting on that. Uh, but Len, thanks for coming on in. Thanks for having a chat. I know we're twisting your arm here. Logan's done it. Thousands, thousands, millions. We also have Logan Collins, Uncle Johnny Warner, and Devin Martley himself. But we're here to talk with Lenny. Um, when did you first play the game of rugby? I was a junior in uh, college. Uh 1970, it must have been, yeah. Land Wars College at? Kent State University. Kent Reed, Kent Wright, Kent State. So it was right after, uh, right after the shootings. And uh, the captain of the rugby team lived on our floor, my dorm floor. And I'd been playing intramurals, and we had good intramurals teams. So he talked me into playing rugby. I went out and I watched the game. I said, that's the stupidest fucking game in the world. I would never go out and do that. And then two months later, I went out and I tried out and I played and, and I fell in love with it and I played yeah. it for 17 years. and couldn't so, think of doing anything else. So what was the, the temperature like uh, Kent State uh, campus at that time? I'm guessing it was hot. So the rugby field, the rugby field, was where the National Guard was surrounded by students that caused the shootings, if you can believe that. That's, that, that is the truth. Because the rugby field was about 35 yards wide and maybe 80 yards long. It wasn't a lot. And it was fenced on two sides and mounds on the other two sides. And they went down in this field surrounded and People started throwing stones at him and stuff. They charged out of it, got up to the top of the hill, turned around and started shooting everybody. The guy, guy next to me got shot in the jaw. Oh, and, Jesus. and a guy over here got shot in the leg. And, and uh, I was in a parking lot uh, right next to the field. And windows on almost every car just exploded. It, it was surreal, just surreal. Absolutely surreal. When, when you look back on that, um, I think you had used the terms, you know, which caused the shooting. Were you referring to the student's actions that caused the shooting? Or, like, how would you, it's probably an impossible question, but how would you sum up that chain of events? Like, what was the, the thing that kicked that off? Yeah, um, a couple of things, uh, Logan. Number one, 
these were National Guard guys, right? Yeah. And there was a trucker strike, and they had been called out to, you know, ride shotgun, if you will, with the scab truckers who were breaking the strike. So they hadn't had sleep scabs. forever. And uh, the thing that really kicked it off, again, this is going to be long and boring. Please. So two weeks before, Ohio State had had riots. Yeah. The governor of Ohio was a guy named James Rhodes, Republican, who was running for Senate in the primary, the Republican primary. And I think the, the, the primary vote was uh, May 5th. He was embarrassed by what happened at uh, Ohio State and swore that that would never happen again. So when there were some, the yippies and SDS went from Ohio State to Kent State to kind of rabble rouse, I mean, he overreacted with National Guard and things like that and authorizing live ammunition. And uh, that's kind of what led to it because it was, it was unbelievable because it was a four-day event, five-day event, and it was pretty peaceful. And, you know, the students were protesting, talking to the, well, talking to the National Guards people. And then, and then national, uh, martial law was in, imposed, which anything more than a group of two people were a crowd and illegal. And they had helicopters flying around the campus and bombing crowds greater than two with pepper gas. What? And they had and they had jeeps with machine guns mounted on the back, patrolling campus to look out for that stuff. And I was in a dorm at a pretty key point part of campus on the sixth floor, and we had barrels of beer, you know, and other stuff. And we're watching the windows, and we're watching all this thing unfold. But God knows we would not go outside because yeah. you know get arrested. It sounds like a bit of an overreaction, like you said. It was yeah, like okay, so. They had the shootings, four people were dead, and I think 15 people were wounded, which was horrific. Closed campus, um, said if you're not off campus by four o'clock that day, you'd be arrested. I had to get to uh, Cleveland Hopkins Airport and fly to uh, LaGuardia. And back then there was no internet, of course, or anything like that. So my parents had to drive to LaGuardia, buy a ticket, which would have been wired to Hopkins and then wait there for me to fly there. So they were there for hours and hours and hours. So I did. So this is May 4th, May 4th, and the vote was going to come May 4th. Under martial law, there's no warrants or anything like that necessary. They searched everything, high and low. And it was really curious what they took and what they didn't take. So my roommate was a quasi- uh, rebel, right? And SDS students for a democratic society and stuff. So, and we had bunk beds. I was on the bottom, he was on the top. He had a flag at Che Guevara and he had an American flag with a swastika on it, on the wall, right? I had, back then it was fashionable to have army jackets, yeah. right? You'd go to a, a, a surplus store. Goodwill or a surplus store and you'd wear army jackets. That was in my uh, closet. July 4th, 5th, July 6th, they said, okay, you can come back and you have four hours to get all your belongings and go home. So I go back on campus. I go, <laughs> the flags are up. My freaking jacket is gone. They had confiscated the jacket. 
they confiscated Playboy pictures that guys had on their walls and things like that. But they left others. It was bizarre. bizarre. It's a security threat on huh? Playboy yeah. pictures. It's a strange. It's a strange time in the country's history. I mean, like, yeah. what year is this? Unrest, this 1970. Height of Vietnam. So the next year, we had an exchange program that we could go to a college in Mexico for a winter. And I did that my junior and senior year. I, I got out of Kent because it was depressing. Weren't you hanging out with Michael Keaton down there? Yeah. So Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas was a student at Kent State. And uh, he went on the same uh, exchange program that I did. And uh, we had a group that traveled together. My cousin Bobby, who wasn't a student, but he, you know, we grew up together. He came down to stay with us. And Michael Keaton, Michael Douglas had gone down uh, with a woman, a friend, not a girlfriend, but a friend. And my cousin ended up being boyfriend, girlfriend with her. So Michael Douglas became part of our group. Uh, and he ended up being Michael Keaton, the actor. Ah, uh, yeah, his real name is not Michael Keaton. No, he's from Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh. Fucking Yenza. Yeah. We had a basketball team. <laughs> This is funny. Yeah, we had a basketball team called the Zany Zambinis from Zihuatanejo, right? That was our basketball team. By far and away, we were the best team on campus. But machismo and other things being what they will, um, the, the dean of the college had a team. So we make it to the finals, and we're playing the dean's team, right? And it's my cousin Bobby, it's me, and my friend uh, Derek Stowe, who's a tall guy. The referees, they couldn't let us win. I mean, they couldn't because the dean would probably castrate or something, right? So they foul us out, and we're down to four people and Michael Douglas Keaton. Well, back then in Mexico, you didn't need prescriptions for uh, Dexedrine or Quaaludes or Mandrax, you know? I mean, those are powerful drugs. And you didn't need prescriptions. You just go into the, 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 the drugstore and get those, and Michael... Douglas did that quite often. So he was our only hope to come out and be the fifth guy. And the freaking guy couldn't even walk. I mean, he couldn't freaking walk. That's and we were up by 20, 20 points or something like that. And we ended up losing by two points. <laughs> so the dean got his way. Dean Warburg. Dean got his way. Yeah. Dean got his way. <laughs> Well, Len, and life was good. Kent State Rugby life was good. got you on track, but your mark and your heart and soul and your career was launched with the Denver Barbarians. Our club is no lie to rugby picking fans. We bleed green and white on this podcast. Uh, but you showed up to Denver in 1972. Yep. Take us from there. Devin's just a little twinkle right, so in your eye at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I graduated from Kent. And I got called in for a draft physical because uh, this is back the Vietnam War. I got number 69 in the very first draft lottery. Silent um, times. So a month before I graduate, I get my draft notice. And I got to go to Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. And as fate would have it, I separated my shoulder playing rugby uh, just a couple weeks before the physical. So I go there. With a doctor's note saying, hey, the guy's got a. And I don't know. I mean, if you ever look, I get a bone sticking out. AC separation. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Awkward. And I've done it twice. <laughs> the awkward collar. So they gave me a six month additional deferral. <clears throat> and this is 1972. And it, 
after that six months, they stopped the draft, so I didn't get drafted. So, so I um, draft out here on my way back from Mexico one year. I stopped in Colorado. I, I hitched. I used to hitch all over the country. I, and, it's, and I had a cousin living in Boulder, Peter, and stayed with him and loved Colorado. So I got out of Kent, and I and I came, and I had a girlfriend too who from Kent who moved out to Boulder and stuff. So I came back to. Uh, I moved out to Denver, and I wanted to play rugby, and I didn't know where to go. I had no idea, so I went to DU. Uh, I found their rugby practice, and I went up, and I asked if I could play with DU, and I, they couldn't. It had to be a student, but the coach of DU was a guy named Tony Spinella. Tony Spinella went to CSU, but he played for the Barbos. Right. He played for the Barbos, and you know, I tried to play for his team. He said, you know, you can't. You're not a student. But there's a really good club here called the Denver Barbarians. And I'll give you the name of a guy, Bill Astle. I'll give you his phone number, call him, and see what happens. So I called Bill Astle, and, you know, I'm telling you, it was fantastic. Very welcoming, and I didn't know shit about him. I played one season, two season. And they played at Congress Park, which was two or three blocks away. Yeah. And the Barbos were the, by far and away the best team in. Um, I tell you, it's fun. So I go there, and there's a couple guys in the team. There were two scrum halves. Andy Jelankowitz, who you guys probably have met. Jelankowitz, no? I think I had to remember that last thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. He's, <laughs> in his, he's in his 80s, but he's still around. And then another guy, Chris Christopherson. And, God, they'd go at it and go at it and go at it because one thought the other was better and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but... Christopherson lived with Fred Alexander. Now, do you guys know Fred Alexander? Yeah. Because he's involved in the old boys and things like that. And they let me stay in their basement. And Fred had a, a, a Jeep, a white Jeep with no top, uh, that the way you start it was push it back and forth. <laughs> when it would start going forward, you'd jump in and, you know, you know kickstart it and stuff. So he let me, he let me have that. And, uh, yeah, and, and Started playing with the Barbos, and I was here for a year, and then got a graduate assistantship. I was an economics major. The rugby advisor was an economics professor, so he got me a graduate assistantship to go back to Kent, and I was captain and coach of the rugby team at Kent. So you went back to school, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. did that go? Oh, where I learned where student I learned rugby, or coach there. We had a guy. On the Barbos, the captain of the Barbos, a guy named Harry Daniels. Probably one of the, still to this day, the best rugby player I've ever played with. The hardest man, uh, kind of like Dennis Weiland. Probably the hardest man I've ever played with and serious. And he really rose the level of the club. And I was lucky that I befriended him. And I didn't know shit about rugby. And I'm going back to coach Kent. And Harry sat down with me. I said one day, I think it was two or three days, and I got a notebook. I don't have any more, but I had a notebook that thick of every position on the, you know, from prop, every forward position, back position in terms of how to, what to do. And that's what I took and coached. And at Kent, we we went undefeated. We were good. No we sure. Very good. And then I, and economics, I don't know if you guys are taking economics, but it was a boring fucking thing. You don't say. And I'm on this path. To go to school for seven more years, get a PhD, and it's like no, the hell with that. So I moved back here, and 
and work construction and uh, so you get back into town barbos are the barbos are they are they number one in denver what's what's the the status of of denver rugby at that point we always were but there was a couple of years that uh, they weren't as strong as we traditionally had been and then a guy named milk bennett from uh, colorado springs came in he was a fly up i played center back then and milk brought a couple of guys and a couple other guys came in, and, and we were just a powerhouse. Milk was his name. Milk. Milk. M I L T. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping it was gonna be milk. Yeah. Uh, 2%. <laughs> He's since changed his name. So to milk. This is an interesting guy. To milk. No, no. This is an interesting <laughs> guy. He went to the Air Force Academy, and he's my age, a little older. Years old. He's the only guy to get a conscientious objector status to leave the Air Force Academy, right? Only time it's ever happened. He went to American University in Washington, became a lawyer, moved back out here, um, lived in the Springs. Good rugby player, really good rugby. He was captain and fly after the team for a while, and uh, married, had a kid, and then it, he just decided to change his life. He, he, he dropped his wife. And, Stopped playing rugby and he moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, he's an attorney down there. I think he's still there to this day. Changed his name to. Uh, changed his name to Merritt. He was Milk. He changed his name to Merritt. You got to earn it on Merritt. And you know, that's IT. probably his new yeah. slogan down there. So Garrity came in. Chicago Louie was his nickname. Chicago Louie? He had a, one of those Irish brogue hats. Yeah. And I think the first time we got to know Joe, we went to Albuquerque for a tournament. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, tell it. I mean, you guys have done all no, this No, stuff. no, no. Chica- it. no Chicago. So you went to Albuquerque with uh, Garrity. What happened? Mustache and all. So Garrity loved to sing, and I loved to sing. And there was a guy in the team, Matt McConville, and Matt liked to sing. Yeah. And then there was a prop who used to play for the St. Louis Falcons. He went to the Air Force Academy, and then he moved back and played with us. Glenn Otafee. What do you like to sing? So we formed a group, and we used to, on Friday night, I mean, the club back then was a tight-knit thing, socially. You know, we were very, very good from a competitive standpoint. I mean, were we, were we as good as you guys now? I don't know. But we were damn good back then. But socially, I mean, the team really loved each other. It was, it was fantastic. What was your life? And it was a bar over in Glendale called uh, Rook's Cantina. And we would go there every Friday night. And they had music sheets in frames on the wall. I mean, that was their decor. And they had one thing by a group called the Jolly Bachelors, right? And we were all bachelors at the time. Uh, Adafi, McConville, Garrity, and me. And, that, and we decided, that's us. We are the Jolly Bachelors. We sang at every party. We We'd go out of our way to sing different things. We had a whole repertoire. We had, you know, <laughs> yes. Uh, we had all kinds, of, you know. Uh, uh, let's see, Bob Wills. You ever hear Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys? San Antonio Rose and, uh, and, and Bobby Darren. And Jolly Bachelors. Starting yeah. to put the squad back together. The Jolly we had T-shirts. Made up the Jolly Bachelors. I mean, <laughs> what, was that, what was that culture like? You talk about that family... You talk about the guys who brought you in 15 years of the Barbos. Who, what were some of your living situations? Like, who, who was oh, your family? 
Yeah, I lived in about 20 years. I was a bum. I was a bum. I was a bum. Respect. Devin actually hates on my bum instincts, but I, I respect your average man who can admit he's a bum because that's me. Well, I'm I, a scavenger of food. So I, I, I was banging nails, not making a hell of a lot of money. Just enough money to pay for some rent and uh, drink beer and, and eat uh, ragu <laughs> and spaghetti. I do. Um, uh, but I was McConville had a house on Capitol Hill, you know, right downtown in the Capitol. I lived there for a while. We lived in a place called the Latin Quarter on Evans and uh, Colorado. Mm. Um, I lived in Littleton. My God, I lived in about 15, 20 different places. And, the, and I was telling Same you, path. a couple of guys on a rugby team bought two houses on 2nd and Pennsylvania, which isn't that far from here, really. Yeah. One of them, they made the clubhouse, and next door was a house that they had rental units in, I think two stories, so two units, and then a basement. The basement, the ceiling height was about six foot three, or maybe five foot ten, because I had to duck. And uh, I lived in the basement. It cost me, what, 300 bucks a month, something like that. And uh, settled there for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. And then, when I was 31, a guy in a team, Jim Nealon, was project manager on what is now the Transamerica building downtown. Yeah. It's quite a structure. Five story. Quite a structure. And he was looking to hire people. I was a carpenter. He was looking to hire people, and they needed to staff up. So he hired me to manage the power cranes and the hoist and the deliveries and all that shit. And that was the start of my uh, career in commercial construction. Mm. Uh, 1981. Just a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. But that's when that building started. And again, I was I was playing select side and stuff. I was playing six, seven days a week. But that job. Oh, Logan, you asshole! I was playing six twelve. I was I was working six twelve, so I stopped playing rugby for about a year and a half in my early 30s because of that. Oh, it's funny because I'm personally going through that. Yeah. My crisis of yeah. treating body uh, versus my competitiveness. When did you really feel, What was there a certain point where you're like, okay, Mike, I'm good. I have my quick twitch instinct and then you start to feel it go. Because I don't feel slower than I've been in my life, but I know I'm right on that precipice. I know I'm close. So here's what told me to quit rugby. It's, it's a good Devin. story. <laughs> we, uh, was this? Devin was born in November of 85, right? Yeah, November of 85. Just pipe up over these assholes. In January of 86, like two months later, month and a half later, we took a tour. We called it the Pink Cadillac Tour to California to, for a kind of warm-up for the season. And I was playing center, and, and there was a game on a Sunday, and we were wearing white jerseys at this game. And I went to tackle the guy, and his boot went into my nose and put my nose on the side of my face. And I was bleeding like a stuck pig. But we were flying out in two hours, so I couldn't do anything about it. Snake juice. So I, yeah, well, that was a different story. Oh, sorry. 
So we go to the play, and Mike, Mike's shirt is more red than it is white. Get home, and Doug Straley was a strum half, and he knew a guy who was a plastic surgeon, and he referred me to him. So this is a Sunday. I go to the guy Wednesday. He looks at it, and I think the next day or something, he brings me back, and he has to re-break my nose because it's already set. Well, that's enjoyable. Yeah, so he shoots, he shoots me up with liquid cocaine, interestingly. And I can feel, I mean, I can't, I can sense, I can't feel pain, but he's cracking my nose all over the place. And then he sticks, and this is the most painful thing ever, about eight feet of gauze up my nose into my sinuses to keep it in place. Okay, so back to the story. Devin's not even two months old. And babies, and babies, when they're young, you know, they can't control their head. And I used to hold them all the time and stuff. And the fucking kid <laughs> used to fucking bot me in my nose. <laughs> and oh my God, it was killing me. So I was thinking, you know, I played this for a while. It's probably time to stop. So I played the next season. And then I said, no, nah, I don't want to get hurt anymore. So it was time to stop. So, and then... Luckily, I guess luckily, or as fate would have it, we got transferred to Connecticut, and that was the end of it. What year was that? 86. 86. 86 yeah. So you played 72 to 86. Well, actually, about 70, 69, 70 to 86. Damn. But, but Barbos, between Kent State and Barbos. Right, but Barbos, 72 to 86. Yeah. All right, Devin. I'm gonna yeah. hit. I'm gonna hit your dad with a with a very challenging top three. We play a game here on Rugby Pick'em. It's called Top Three. Now I give you a category to select from. You got to pick three guys in their prime, injury free, to win you one game. But I'm going to go with anybody you've ever played against in your 15 year career. So you can't pick teammates, but you got to think of the best of your opposition. Oh, you got to do both. Do you yeah, recall? You got to hear the barbells. Do you recall such opposition? Were there any guy? All right, we may not do top three, but were there any guys that stuck out throughout your years as as a guy? Uh, a guy from Texas who I became friends with because we played select side together, named Richie Parker, who was a pretty damn good center. So he was good. He ended up. He was a rough guy. He ended up getting murdered. Jesus! All right, we'll go in a completely different direction. Who are your top three barbos that you played with? No, you have positions or no? No, you you got to win one game, and you can only pick three guys. Okay. So that's the thing. You got to stack the positions as you see fit. And Dennis Wyland was certainly one of them. Um, God, I played with so many guys. So you got Wyland. Who else? I mean, I can't pick three. Shafroff was really good. Paoli was really good. That's the game, though. You can only pick three. Yeah, Dougie was really good. <laughs> Uh, off the cuff, off the shoulder. Give me three. Yeah, I can't. I can't, uh, I can't do it. I, can't. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I played with too many people. They were all my friends. I know. That's the whole point of the of the, <laughs> the segment is you have to disappoint somebody. But you see, that was the beauty of our club. You wouldn't even pick three back then. Yeah, there were no superstars. Who were the, who was the Barlow captain you played the most years under? Uh, Milt Bennett and then me. Okay. Yeah, and Milt was a good captain. Yeah, and he and I—it's kind of funny. Um, so he's in Santa Fe, and I went back down to visit him back when I was married, and uh, we went out to lunch. 
and he explained to my wife that uh, we got to a point where we never ever had to talk to one another. We just knew exactly what was to be done. Yeah. And it was just a look in the eye and it was done. And, he's, and he was absolutely right. It was done. We didn't talk. We, we you just reacted, communicated. reacted and it was yeah. so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. I hear that. Did you ever, when you retired, dip back into rugby at all? Down no, in Florida? I don't know. I, all right, there's another story involving Devin. So, uh, again, 86, I'm 36. Too old. That's fine. I had my time. Everybody gets there. Then we moved back to Des Moines. And uh, the Des Moines old boys, I don't know how I hooked up with them. The Des Moines old boys were going to play in a tournament in Las Vegas. And uh, I, I ended up with them playing fly F. And they needed guys, and I called Wineland, and I said, hey, Dennis, let's go. So we did, and we won. And ended up playing okay. It was good. I was 42, something like that. And we played good, and it was good. It was fun. Then a couple years later, uh, they went to Kansas City to play. <laughs> and uh, let's see, Kayla had just lost her first tooth in Kansas City. So, yeah, this is the early 90s. So I drove the three kids down to Kansas City because they'd never watched me play rugby before. <laughs> so, so I go play. And after the first game, I walk off the field and Devin's sitting there, standing there and said, God, Dad, you're slow. <laughs> I said, okay, fuck it. I'm never playing this game. <laughs> hey, like father, like son. Yeah, right? He's probably eight years old or something. That like was that. the slowest back I've ever met, but he still makes people miss. <laughs> I can't oh, believe it. I wasn't, I wasn't fast, but I was quick. Yeah. Um, have you ever had a, a situation on the field where you're just so uncomfortable you have to exit? Oh, my tits. Yeah. <laughs> That's unfair. <laughs> You brought the answer. I just was asking a really super generic question. Because I personally, I'll level with you, Len. I have, I had to exit a Pop Warner football game to take a shit. And my, I think my dad was just so fucking disappointed that for the rest of my life, I shit 20 minutes before the game on the dot for rugby, for football, everything. Like I would go and put my ass on the toilet, even if I didn't have to go, just to make sure. And even in rugby, I had to play some games down in South Carolina in fucking 110 degree heat. I would just pee right through my pants on the field. <laughs> I'm just I'm a disgusting person like that. Like Devin, like what I'm wearing right now, I'm gonna wear to work tomorrow and I'm not gonna shower. But that's just the type of person I am. So, you know, I like to ask that question. What's what's the most uncomfortable you've ever felt in the field? Because I doubt people um, can deal with uncomfort to the level that I can. I'm disgusted. Well, I certainly had a, a number of injuries, and this is one of the, the one I'm least proud of. Uh, we were playing, I think it was Dallas. We were in the finals of the Western region. We played fly half. We were playing on a sandy field. Like a, what, what was polyester. the material? Polyester jersey. The fucking thing, the sand gets in my jersey and starts rubbing my nipples. <laughs> And I am in fucking agony. I'm in agony. I can't move. So 
I take two minutes and leave the freaking pitch and start begging for band-aids. I take my jersey off and I put band-aids on like pasties. And then I go back and play. And oh, shit, I never, ever heard the end of that. To the extent of five years ago, an email went out telling that story. <laughs> it happens. Nipple chafing is very real. Oh, Dude, you got to lube up. <laughs> lube the nips. <laughs> We're not even scratching the surface, boys. All right, okay, let's, let's get let's, below the surface. Let's talk I can't remember. I can't remember. Let's talk travel outside of the country. Tours. Best tours. 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 Best tours. I was going to say, there's a lot of potential old boys. Didn't somebody out, like, try to jump out of a plane one time? Oh, fuck. That wasn't <laughs> out of the country. That was going to Sun Valley. Filthy McNasty. I moved out to Breckenridge for a year to play with the Blue Goose. And again, we were good. We had... Uh, they had a couple of really good guys up there and a couple guys from the Highlanders and, and, and uh, we went undefeated we're flying oh Jesus we were going to Sun Valley and, and we flew out of Aspen and I was working as a carpenter and I was working with uh, Julio Fautre good buddy of mine we get paid we gotta catch a bus <laughs> Excuse me, bus to Aspen. And so he's, we got to get something to drink for the bus ride. And you just assume it's going to be beer, right? So we go in, and Julio says, you know, Lynn, we drink beer all the time. We shouldn't drink beer. Let's do something else. I said, okay, Julio, what do you got in mind? And what's the name of that stuff? Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier. So he says, okay, we'll get Grand Marnier. I said, oh, Okay, what's that? He says, oh, you'll love it. So we get a bottle of Grand Marnier. I don't know. You guys drank that stuff? Yeah, I fucking love it. Yeah. A sip is good. A bottle, not so good. <laughs> so, so we get a bottle of that. We go to Aspen. And it's empty. Grandma. And we got a little wait. He says, let's get another. What a good idea, Julio. So we get another. What? And the plane's delayed. We get a third bottle of Grand Marnier. Between he and I, we drink three bottles of Grand Marnier. We get on the plane, and the other guys are drinking too, obviously. And we take off, and all I remember is I got my head in the puke bag with the uh, stewardess with an ice pack on my neck for the whole flight. And uh, this, we had this guy, Dan Cohen. He was a hard man, prop. And he was... He was insane, and he was drunk. And for the entire flight, he was trying to open the doors to jump out of the airport. Jesus. <laughs> and this is a strong, big guy. So I was like, Jesus, somebody put him down. <laughs> like, they have tranquilizers there? like uh, <laughs> tranquilizers. Like, so we fly to Sun Valley. They throw me in the back of a station wagon. And we had to get up at like 8 o'clock the next morning and play. And we ended up winning the tournament. <laughs> Just throw that in there. Classic. You went to France too, right? Yeah. Did you ever go to any rugby World Cups and like follow the Eagles? Well, I went to the last World Cup. Did I follow the Eagles? We watched them play Japan. Oh, I was there too, Bob. Yeah, John. This is a weird rugby pick a moment. With uh... Devin and Lenny were in the building, in the shed. Oh, right. 
the same as me, you, Elliot, Pat Rapali, the whole fucking crew. Isn't that insane? And we didn't even meet Devin for another six months. That's what rugby does. What? Brings people together. I did the same thing with Barry. I had that revelation. I had met him, you know, not met him, but I'd been in the same exact You room. guys were, yeah, that was a good game. And Gloucester was, did you stay in Gloucester? Oh, Gloucester. What a town. Well, here's a story there. Um, one of my better friends is a guy named Di Reese. He's a Welshman. He played for Wales under, nine, under 20s. And then he ended up playing for the London Welsh. And then he moved to London. And then... London Welsh toured Colorado twice, and on one of the, and he was a history professor, and so is Peter Shaprock. You guys know Shaprock? Yeah. Yeah. So somehow they decided to switch places for a year. So Shaprock teacher exchange. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I was teaching at a very exclusive uh, private school, Mill Hill, and Shaprock was teaching at Kent Country Day School. So they switched places. And uh, and I, I mean, I would say he was world class, but he was close as a winger. So that was a that was a good deal, and he and I became good friends. And to this day, we're really good friends. We're going to Dominican Republic at the end of the month, and then going spring to Scotland break. and delayed so spring break. But he lives in a place called Nailsworth, which is forty five minutes. Is it forty five minutes from Gloucester? And uh, mm. And he's got season tickets to that. Gloucester's in the Premier League of rugby. Mm-hmm. So he's got season tickets there. And he got his tickets to the Japan-USA game. So Dev went over with me. And, you know, we watched a bunch of games on TV and stayed with Di and played golf. And you know, we went up to yeah, the game in 2015. Gloucester was a fun town. Like like small town, but big rugby town. Like yeah. Everything yeah. got our, everything shut down. Well, they had a couple of internationals yeah. on it, too. I think they had the Scottish fly half. And uh, a couple others back back when we're talking. Greg Laidlaw. And then, uh, yeah. So P. Shafroth ended up playing in the UK then. Yeah, but I think, and and I may be wrong, but I think he might have been second or third side prop for London Wire. No, this is a team that had JPR Williams, John Taylor, uh, and a couple other Welsh internationals. So that's pretty, awesome, though. Back then, it was a top-notch team. I don't think it is so much now, but yeah. Holy hell, Len! Can I get a little sappy here? What's your favorite moment watching Devin play rugby? <laughs> I mean, good question. You don't have to snort, Devin. I was just uh, <laughs> waiting for the answer. <laughs> <laughs> there's no shot clock, but yeah. You know, we hope there's a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen him play, actually. Never seen him play. No, I've seen, uh, uh, seen him play a couple times in, uh, in Charlotte, in Philly, and in here. I, I, you know, okay, and I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but the thing about Dev, he was an excellent baseball player. He's an excellent soccer player. And I think he's a pretty damn good rugby player. And what he is, is mentally he understands the game and uh, and does the right thing at the right time. The manipulation. And so that's what I enjoy seeing Dev do. Right. Well, that's why I'm begging him to come out. And, and he's not the fastest guy in the world. Neither, <laughs> neither was I. And neither was I, but I could make it work. Manipulation. That, yeah. That's actually more of a superpower than... 
if you're born with like athletic ability that can like overpower like your ability to like, like good. learn a game. That picture, I think that was pretty good. The one on the right. Yeah. yeah. Devin, can you explain to our listeners what's what's happening? No, no there's a there's a picture um, from a oh, elite eight tournament that our college team played in. It's like the first serious game of rugby my dad watched him play, and it's just him and I kind of talking about it. Pretty candid shot, shooting the shit, playing yeah. Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, I, got, I got the game ball that game. Yeah. Woo! Man of the match, M O M. Holding it right there. Look like Jack there. Yeah, <laughs> it must be the shoulder. Yeah, shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. So many shoulder pads on Oh my god, I think there are. Also, you were probably working out then. I was. Yeah, I was two hundred five in that picture. Woo! Got that? No way. Dripping How wet. How much are you now? Eighty six. Two hundred five dripping wet. Oh, he really? was doing work. He was doing work. You can tell. Did Howard ever tell you about the time he broke his leg? No, tell us. So, I'm, I think I was playing fly up and Howard was inside. We were playing the Harlequins. I can't remember what year this was. This was maybe 84, something like that. And somebody I tackled him and he broke his, is it your femur? Your yeah. big bone? Yeah. He broke yeah. his femur. He didn't quite realize. I mean, he knew he was hurt, but he didn't know what. And uh, so, obviously, he went off. And he went to the hospital, and he damn near died, because apparently when you break a big bone like that, yeah. things can happen that totally screw up your brain. The blood more something. Yeah, the blood. And he was in the hospital for quite a while. And yeah, he was a hurting dude. He was a hurting dude. Yeah. And he he was tall and thin. You played with Howard. Now Howard was mostly on the peace side, but this game he was. Uh, yeah, he's playing next to me. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Howard earlier today. Yeah? How does he feel about being the head of National Sevens? I bet he feels pressure, man. Howard takes the job of being an impartial third party for Club Sevens very seriously. So now that he's top dog, I mean, all the weight's on his shoulders. The weight is worth the lift. Always, Johnny. The weight is worth the lift. Is that? Are you talking about how long you have to wait when you order a lift, or the weight? Yeah, that's a clever play on words. But nice. you know, when the juice is <laughs> worth the squeeze, I think Howard is the perfect guy for the job. He's been fucking investing his entire life in just like recruiting, scouting, organizing, like doing the hard yards. Yeah. Like a lot of people want growth in rugby, but not a lot of people want to do the work. Like, you, we, we can all bitch about, like, oh, referees in the U.S. suck. Yeah, well, have you picked up a whistle? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, our level of rugby is this. Well, do you coach a youth team in your area? Like, Howard does the hard yards, so, like, that's fucking. You guys have seen uh, that referee, Nigel Owens. Yeah. He's work. <laughs> he controls the game very well. Well, I'm straighter than that one was. <laughs> but the fact is, he does yeah, lock you with the captains him. very early. Oh, he's, he's great. And he tells he's you, great. here's how we play 80 minutes continuous. So here's a story that I love. And Di, my friend Di told me this. So he ref the World Cup final, right? Um, New Zealand, Australia. It must have been a Saturday or something. Because the next day, he was in Wales ref in a third level game. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's how he loves the game. 
And yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I and can it, attest right now, our love of the game, Johnny and I will run touch on the anything. High school, college, rugby. Because but I, I don't prefer think you're to run touch. To ref, but I don't think you're going to be asked to ref the World Cup final. Oh, that's true. My <laughs> point is we're, we'll always throw our hand up to be more involved. It's, it's the type of game where you can give on any level. And what... If I can speak to you, Logan, what I think you're finding out is the administration level is a lot fucking harder than what players take for granted. Because I know when I rolled up in 2012, all I did was play and pay dues and have a good time. And that was it. And that was fun. And I showed up to everything. But once I saw the behind the scenes stuff and now that I'm actually attempting to do it with you and with Devin... It's a lot harder. I don't. I think that's fine, though. I think that's actually that should be the point of club rugby. Is that should be kind of an open door where you can show up, pay some dues, and play. Like that's that's how you facilitate it. So if you have a handful of people in a town, in a city, in a rugby community that will actually do some of the organization work, um, I mean, it, you know, you have like referees in the rugby union and all that as well. There's a bunch of shit that goes into it, but it's all very necessary. Just it needs to happen if the high school games are going to happen, if the college games, the the club games, men's, women's, all that. Like it, it's not that much of a problem, but it's like anything. You know, you're trying to co- coordinate with other people, and it's it's a fucking nightmare sometimes. So um, I don't know. I think, I think it's necessary. Yeah. Calling and confirming sounds like anyone's nightmare, right? And that's what the job is. It's like sending emails saying, are we playing on this day at this time? It's sending emails saying, hey, can you pay your entry fee to this tournament? It's hard organizational bitch work. Like it's fucking terrible email work. It's just inconvenience. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, but it has back when we were doing it. What did you do pre-email? Uh-huh. What did you do pre-email? How did you guys organize? Well, you just call each other on the house phone and be like, faxing each other. Hey, let's play at this field at this time. This is before fax. <laughs> <laughs> um, so selection. <coughs> you know, oh, there's more wine. You go to a bar and the overflow, which is ridiculous. But selections were made and posted Thursday night for the weekend. But but what happened interestingly is that. And again, we had a good group of people that wanted to participate. So there were a certain group of people who knew they were never going to play in the first side, but they wanted to contribute, and they took on a lot of the administrative responsibility. And rightly or wrongly, but that's how it happened. And they felt good about that, and, uh, and other p- people felt good. But now on the high school level, or the coaching level, or, or, things like, or even coaching women back then, that was for everybody. And, you know, everybody volunteered and everybody helped out with that. But uh, on the administrative staff, that was, you know, we had a lot of guys. Well, you know, Russell was always an administrator. Um, and he loved doing that shit. Paul Hoskins. Hoskins. Is he still around? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Paul comes out regularly. Yeah, I see Paul all the time. Paul's yeah. great. Shout out to Senior is probably listening right now. One of the most loyal old boys. Oh, but no, Lenny, JB. How did you communicate with the other team? Before the internet and before the cell phone about like field changes or last minute updates. Vision. Uh, that I'm would try- only be 
Um, instead of scheduling Cap, each show. Not captain, the president, the president. And then each one respond, was responsible to let their own. And they'd call the home yeah. phone? Yeah. And there's probably a tree. <laughs> That's just bizarre to me. This is coming from a guy born in 1990. Fucking three. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, so, how did you even it's communicate back in the day? Like, how did you communicate? Well, they rotary phones. Well, hey. isn't it funny? It, it probably operated pretty closely. To the level yeah. of efficiency Probably. that it's operating today. I bet. I yeah, guarantee it. I guarantee it. The technology does not make us better communicators. No, if anything, there's more pressure to make the confirmation call on a Friday night. Be like, hey, we're playing tomorrow at this field. I'll I see told you. you. <laughs> I told you about Wolfinger tracking me down to Boulder. Saying, hey, you might want to show up. My hamstrings are Yeah, so who was Wolfinger? Well, he was uh, a wing. He and uh, Greg McGuire were the wings. This was your first, like... Yeah, when I first joined the team, and yeah. I was B-side first. So, you might want to show... I mean, we'll tell the whole story. I'm in bed with this woman in Boulder. You might want to show up today, because my hamstring's a little tight. And you might get a chance. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I should be playing and studying you. <laughs> And I got a broad laying next to me. <laughs> yeah, you're on like you're calling the home. Um, so, Len, what do you want to close with? Are there guys on the Barbos who made a significant impact on your life who you just want to shout out? Or are there future Barbo generations? Well, You've made a I, significant impact on. Are you talking about Devin's children? Who wants children? to shout out you? Are you talking about Devin's oh. children? <laughs> Fuck out of here. Well, from a rugby standpoint, I told you about this guy, Harry Daniels. And sadly, Harry passed away 15 years ago. So, um, yeah, he was a, a guy I have nothing but respect for. And if you talk to the guys who played with him, they tell you the same thing. Now, rugby was, like I told you, I was doing it six, seven days a week for 10 years, 12 years here. So it was my life for a long time. So, I mean, yeah, just it's tough, as, to, tough to get away from that. As far as personal friends, though, I mean, I mean, the only thing I, the only people I remember going to visit growing up were all Barbos. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, Skellen, Mylan. Dougie, Matt, yeah, yeah. Old Pete, oh Peter, yeah. I'm, you know, Peter's son is my godson. No shit, Tim. Tim, yeah. Tim Shafroth was your best man, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was three years old. We got married. We got married in the house of one of our props, Dave Robbins. Um, who was the attorney general for water in Colorado. I don't know if he's still working or not. I haven't been in touch with him. Got married in Dave Robbins' house, which was in Capitol Hill. Beautiful. One of those big brick houses. And Tim was three years old, and he wore a lederhosen. And he was the best man. No shit. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. My godson. Old Timmy. Shaffroths are legends. Marlings, Shaffroths, Barbos for life. 
Thank you, Lenny and Devin, for opening up for our audience. I know they're going to be very excited to hear this whole story. And Johnny, thank you for dropping in and uh, coming in on this. It takes a village, man. Well, John, we actually want you on more Rugby Pickin' Bios because you're a saucy man, and I think you bring a lot of spice. I get around. Yeah. Try not to have plans seven days a week. I get around. All right. Thanks again, Glenn. Thousands, millions. Can't read, can't write, can't state. So. Probably an impossible question, but how would you sum up that chain of events? shotgun, if you will, with the scab truckers who were breaking the strike. So they hadn't had sleep scabs forever. Well, back then in Mexico, you didn't need prescriptions for uh, Dexedrine or Quaaludes or Mandrax, you know. I mean, those are powerful drugs. got to a point where we never ever had to talk to one another we just knew exactly what was to be done yeah and it was just a look in the eye and it was done and he's and he was absolutely right it was done we didn't talk so i um draft dodger draft dodger draft dodger since changed his name This is an interesting guy. Just pipe up over these assholes. In January of 86, we were wearing white jerseys at this game. And I went to tackle a guy and his boot went into my nose and put my nose on the side of my face. And I was bleeding like a stuck pig. But we were flying out in two hours, so I couldn't do anything about it. Snake juice. So I, yeah, well, that was a different story. Oh, sorry. Kayla had just lost her first tooth in Kansas City. So, yeah, this is the early 90s. So I drove the three kids down to Kansas City because they had never watched me play rugby before. <laughs> so, so I go play. And uh, let's see, Kayla had just lost her first tooth in Kansas So yeah, this is the early 90s. So I drove the three kids down to Kansas City because they had never watched me play rugby before. <laughs> so, so I go play. And start begging for band-aids. I take my jersey off and I put band-aids on like pasties.
<laughs> and then I come back and play. And oh, shit, I never, ever heard the end of that. To the extent of five years ago, an email went out telling that story. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> We're not even scratching the surface, boys. All right, okay, let's, let's get let's, below the surface. Let's try to I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> that was going to Sun Valley. Filthy McNasty. A sip is good. A bottle, not so good. <laughs> so, so we get a bottle of that, we go to Aspen. Men's, women's, all that. Like it, it's not that much of a problem, but it's like anything. You know, you're trying to co coordinate with other people, and it's, it's a fucking nightmare sometimes. So, um... I don't know. I think, I think it's necessary. How did you communicate with the other team before the internet and before the cell phone about like field changes or last minute updates? Vision. Yeah, and I got a broad laying next to me. <laughs> 